0: Story number nine of The Toys of Peace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. The Toys of Peace. Short stories by Sarkey. The Phantom Luncheon. "'The Smithley-Dubs are in town,' said Sir James. "'I wish you would show them some attention. "'Ask them to lunch with you at the Ritz or somewhere. "'From the little I've seen of the Smithley-Dubs, "'I don't think I want to cultivate their acquaintance,' said Lady Drackmonton. "'They always work for us at election times,' said her husband. "'I don't suppose they influence very many votes.' but they have an uncle who is on one of my ward committees, and another uncle speaks sometimes at some of our less important meetings. These sort of people expect some return in the shape of hospitality. "'Expect it?' exclaimed Lady Drackmonton. "'The Mrs. Smithley-Dubb do more than that. They almost demand it. They belong to my club, and hang about the lobby just about lunchtime, all three of them,' with their tongues hanging out of their mouths and the six coarse look in their eyes if i were to breathe the word lunch they would hustle me into a taxi and scream ritz or dieudonnes to the driver before i knew what was happening all the same i think you ought to ask them to a meal of some sort persisted sir james "'I consider that showing hospitality to the Smithley Dubs is carrying free food principles to a regrettable extreme,' said Lady Drackmonton. "'I've entertained the Joneses and the Browns and the Snapheimers and the Lubricoffs, and heaps of others whose names I forget, "'but I don't see why I should inflict the society of the Mrs. Smithley Dub on myself for a solid hour.' imagine it sixty minutes more or less of unrelenting gobble and gabble why can't you take them on milly she asked turning hopefully to her sister i don't know them said milly hastily all the better you can pass yourself off as me people say that we are so alike that they can hardly tell us apart and i've only spoken to these tiresome young women about twice in my life at committee rooms and bowed to them in the club. Any of the club page boys will point them out to you. They're always to be found lolling about the hall just before lunchtime. My dear Betty, don't be absurd, protested Millie. I've got some people lunching with me at the Culton tomorrow, and I'm leaving town the day afterwards. What time is your lunch tomorrow? asked Lady Drachmonton reflectively. Two o'clock. Said Milly. Good, said her sister. The Smithley dubs shall lunch with me tomorrow. It shall be rather an amusing lunch party. At least I shall be amused. The last two remarks she made to herself. Other people did not always appreciate her ideas of humour. Sir James never did. The next day, Lady Drackmonton made some marked variations in her usual toilet effects. She dressed her hair in an unaccustomed manner, and put on a hat that added to the transformation of her appearance. When she had made one or two minor alterations, she was sufficiently unlike her usual smart self to produce some hesitation in the greeting which the Mrs. Smithley-Dub bestowed on her in the club lobby. She responded, however, with a readiness which set their doubts at rest. "'What is the Carlton like for lunching in?' she asked breezily. The restaurant received an enthusiastic recommendation from the three sisters. "'Let's go and lunch there, shall we?' she suggested, and in a few minutes' time the smithly-dub mind was contemplating at close quarters a happy vista of baked meats and approved vintage. "'Are you going to start with caviar?' "'I am,' confided Lady Drackmonton and the Smithley-dubs started with caviar. The subsequent dishes were chosen in the same ambitious spirit, and by the time they had arrived at the wild-duck course it was beginning to be a rather expensive lunch. The conversation hardly kept pace with the brilliancy of the menu. Repeated references on the part of the guests to the local political conditions and prospects in Sir James's constituency were met with vague ahs and indeeds, from Lady Drackmonton, who might have been expected to be specially interested. "'I think when the Insurance Act is a little better understood, it will lose some of its present unpopularity,' hazarded Cecilia Dub. "'Will it? I dare say. I'm afraid politics don't interest me very much,' said Lady Drackmonton. The three Miss Smithley-dubs put down their cups of Turkish coffee and stared. Then they broke into protesting giggles. "'Of course you're joking,' they said. "'Not me,' was the disconcerting answer. "'I can't make head or tail of these bothering old politics. Never could, and never want to. I've quite enough to do to manage my own affairs, and that's a fact.' "'But,' exclaimed Amanda smith with a squeal of bewilderment breaking into her voice. "'I was told you spoke so informingly about the Insurance Act at one of our social evenings.' It was Lady Drackmonton who stared now. "'Do you know,' she said, with a scared look around her, "'rather a dreadful thing is happening. I'm suffering from a complete loss of memory. I can't even think who I am.' "'I remember meeting you somewhere, and I remember you asking me to come and lunch with you here, and that I accepted your kind invitation. Beyond that my mind is a positive blank.' The scared look was transferred with intensified poignancy to the faces of her companions. "'You asked us to lunch!' they exclaimed hurriedly. That seemed a more immediately important point to clear up than the question of identity.' Oh, no, said the vanishing hostess, that I do remember about. You insisted on my coming here because the feeding was so good, and I must say it comes up to all you said about it. A very nice lunch it's been. What I'm worrying about is who on earth am I? I haven't the faintest notion. You are Lady Drackmonton, exclaimed the three sisters in chorus. Now don't make fun of me, she replied crossly, I happen to know her quite well by sight, and she isn't a bit like me. And it's an odd thing you should have mentioned her, for it so happens she's just come into the room. That lady in black, with the yellow plume in her hat, there over by the door. The Smithley dubs looked in the indicated direction, and the uneasiness in their eyes deepened into horror. In outward appearance the lady who had just entered the room certainly came rather nearer to their recollection of their member's wife than the individual who was sitting at table with them. "'Who are you, then, if that is Lady Drackmonton?' they asked in panic-stricken bewilderment. "'That is just what I don't know,' was the answer, "'and you don't seem to know much better than I do. "'You came up to us in the club. In what club? The new didactic in Calais Street.' "'The new didactic!' exclaimed Lady Drackmonton, with an air of returning illumination. "'Thank you so much. Of course I remember now who I am. "'I'm Ellen Niggle of the Ladies' Brass Polishing Guild. "'The club employs me to come now and then and see to the polishing of the brass fittings. "'That's how I came to know Lady Drackmonton by sight. "'She's very often in the club. "'And you are the ladies who so kindly asked me out to lunch?' Funny how it should all have slipped my memory all of a sudden. The unaccustomed good food and wine must have been too much for me. For the moment I really couldn't call to mind who I was. "'Good gracious!' she broke off suddenly. "'It's ten past two. I should be at a polishing job in Whitehall. "'I must scuttle off like a giddy rabbit. "'Thanking you ever so!' She left the room with a scuttle sufficiently suggestive of the animal she had mentioned, but the giddiness was all on the side of her involuntary hostesses. The restaurant seemed to be spinning round them, and the bill, when it appeared, did nothing to restore their composure. They were as nearly in tears as it is permissible to be during the luncheon hour in a really good restaurant. Financially speaking, they were well able to afford the luxury of an elaborate lunch, but their ideas on the subject of entertaining differed very sharply according to the circumstances of whether they were dispensing or receiving hospitality. To have fed themselves liberally at their own expense was, perhaps, an extravagance to be deplored, but at any rate they had had something for their money— To have drawn an unknown and socially unremunerative Ellen Niggle into the net of their hospitality was a catastrophe that they could not contemplate with any degree of calmness. The Smithley Dubs never quite recovered from their unnerving experience. They have given up politics and taken to doing good. End of The Phantom Luncheon Recording by Graham Redmond.